Good morning, Ohana. How are y'all doing this morning? So, when I was writing this sermon for this, this is the last uh, sermon out of Titus, but when I was writing this sermon, um, I kind of, this is going to sound a lot worse than it is. I got kicked out of my house for a night. Um, my, my wife had all the ladies over, so she was like, I don't care where you go, just don't be here. Is, is, is the story I got. So I was like, okay, um, where am I going to go? And there's so many places to go in HPP just to sit and relax. You know what I mean? Like, nowhere. Like, that was a joke, guys. Come on. Come on. Work with me this morning, all right? So I went to KL. Um, I went to KL, and I went to McDonald's, got some food because I knew there wouldn't be any food left for me when I got home. But besides all that, like, I had to fend for myself for a night. It's all right. I can handle it, guys. I went to McDonald's. And there was these kids there. Um, I was I was trying to start working on the sermon. And there was these kids there. And there was no adults for these kids. And I don't know, like, I don't ever remember it being this, this bad when I was a kid. But there was four kids, probably the oldest, probably 13. And I knew they were trouble because they started, they sat right beside the door. And when I watched them, one of the boys threw a ketchup packet on the ground. And I was like, oh boy. This is going to be the Pilau kids right here. I mean, I, I know who you are. This is the Tomaselli Ohana right here in, 50, in a couple of years. So, so they started, so the boys started smashing the ketchup packets on the ground. And so ketchup was going everywhere. And then I was thinking, what would your mom, like, what, would you be doing this if your mom was here? And I was just thinking about guidance and things of that nature. Then they were sitting right beside the door, okay? Um, if you've been to the Cal McDonald's, you walk in and there's a, there's a table right here and there's, there's trash cans. So what they started doing is they were taking, taking their mom's money and throwing it at the trash cans. And I was like, why are you throwing away money? Like, she worked hard for this. And then a guy almost walked in and he almost got hit across the head. And I was like, man, y'all are just doing this to be doing something. But it reminded me of us sometimes, especially as sheep. It reminded me of, of Israel in the desert when they were wandering without a shepherd. What did they do? They went to immaturity. They went to the things of old. And as Christians, as, as a, even as adults, we are going to, if we don't have guidance in our lives... We are going to go on the side of immaturity every time. Sin causes us to be immature. So if you're with me this morning, say amen. amen. You follow that story a little bit? AKA, don't let your kids go to McDonald's by themselves. McDonald's workers are not babysitters for your kids, all right? Neither is Ulamica. But that's another part. Um, so we're, we're finishing up Titus. This week, can I get an amen, a chihu something? What a great summer series this has been. And um, so if you could go, with, uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. But last week, Zeke covered the second part of his message. And who remembers what it was about? The four parts. Anybody remember what, what, what Zeke preached about? Discipleship, discipline, all that sort of stuff. How Christians should act. Outside of church. How Christians should act outside of church. 
But before we get to our passage, this is the passage of Scripture that, that has been the foundation of what we have studied in Titus. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 says this, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That has been our theme verse through this passage, through the study of Titus. And our our theme has been grace poured out. So this morning I want us to look at how three practical ways grace is poured out in these last this this summary, this this final conclusion of of Paul to the pastor Titus. So if you could stand with me in reading of God's word this morning, Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. All right, when you come to big words, say them boldly and proudly and keep on going. Everybody thinks they said, you said them right, all right? Verse 12, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So as to help the cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. You may be seated. Dear Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, as as we just sung, may you do it again. Lord, as, as we've seen mountains move, may you do it again. Lord, may we hear your word this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. I want to start off this morning by looking at three specific things. Three parts of grace in this message. In this text, the first one is the grace of a shepherd. We see that in verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. You see, in this passage, Paul wanted Titus to come to him. Paul wanted Titus to to come with him and spend the winter at Nicopolis. But he also knew he couldn't at that very moment. He knew that Titus couldn't for the sake of there would not be a shepherd. Now if you think back to my introduction story as the children without a parent, he knew that would be the result. If, if the island of Crete did not have a shepherd, they would fall back into immaturity. How many of us have ever fell in? We've, we've, we've walked away from the church for a period and we fell back into immaturity. Yeah, we've, we've all been there for a season. Even if you come every Sunday, you fell away from the, the church. So Paul knew at this moment, Titus just couldn't drop everything and come. But he had to send Artemis or Tychicus so he could replace Titus. 
Now listen to this. We all know this passage. Most of us know it by heart, but this is what a shepherd is. Psalms 23. A psalm of David. The Lord is my... I shall not... He makes me... In green pastures. He leads me beside the... He restores my... He leads me in the path of... For His name's sake. Even though I... Through the valley of the shadow of death. I shall fear no... For you are, you are with me. Your, and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before, in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, oil. If you're from Tennessee, you say oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the forever. See, we see the role of a shepherd here. We see the role of a shepherd in Psalms 23. Now, this is the same thought I had, but this is talking about Jesus. This is talking about the good shepherd. How am I supposed to fulfill all the requirements laid before me by the Lord? Well, this is not the only time we see the reference to being a shepherd. 1 Peter 5, 2-3 says, Shepherd the flock that God, of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those you are in charge of, but being examples to the flock. Look, I know this passage talks a lot about shepherding. And many in this room would not consider themselves a shepherd. But you are stewards of something. You are stewards of your family. I mean, there's, there's the four types of leaders we've talked about before. And I don't remember all of them off the top of my head. But everybody's a leader of self. You can only go as far as you take yourself. Are you shepherding yourself? So when we go through this, I want you to remember that. Are you shepherding yourself? Most of, a lot of us in this room are Ohana group leaders. Are you shepherding your, your Ohana group well? Many of us, some of us in this room are the elders, and we have a wider spread of shepherding to do. Are the five of us shepherding well today? So as I go through these, just be, don't be like, oh, he's just talking about pastors. I, I can check out. No, this is, it has application for everybody. Three ways shepherds display grace. Number one, the shepherd helps his people eat good green grass. Who likes good green grass? Nobody, yeah. If you were a sheep, you would like good green grass. Traveling to green grass is not always the easiest. I can make you eat. Like us, and especially, all right, for me, I look for the fastest way, not the best way. That's who I am. Like that's, like the fastest way for me to get home in the evening is not going and getting a five-course meal at Hilo Hawaiian, if I could afford that. 
My fastest way home is going through the drive-thru at McDonald's. And sometimes if I think the drive-thru is a little long, who's ever done this? You park, you go inside, you get it to go, and then you head out. And then you look outside and you're like, that truck was like, he's already left, man. I should have just stayed in the line. Who does that? Like, I'm not the only one. In our lives, most of the time we look for the easiest way. But the green grass is not always the easiest way. Ask your Ohana group leaders. Ask your, the elders. Ask the pastors. The green grass that we desire for you, is, it takes work to get there. Listen, we could feel this room. I promise you, if me and Zeke got together, because it would have to be a joint thing, we could preach something that would fill this room every week. We would already had to have four, four. If I started preaching the stuff you find on TV, that, hey, God wants you to have a new car. Or I could be like Oprah and be like, if we had the budget, like, man, wouldn't that be nice? Like, you get a car and you get a car. Think of how many people's going to be here. Listen to the story. Is the slide up there? Let's see. Anybody know what that is? I got it. Anybody else know what that is? Iron sulfide? Alright, here's the story of this. I'm, I can kind of be a little, I can be a little geek sometimes. Um, I used to love doing this in high school and college. It was a weird phase of my life. Like, I'm, now I'm like, I don't know how to do this, but I used to enjoy it. Alright, listen to the story that involves this. It was the 16th century. And we're going to go with a, he was an English seaman named Martin. Don't ask me his last name. I couldn't say it. He made three trips to Canada. So we crossed the ocean three times. And on the second trip, he found this material, which is iron sulfide, also called pyrite, which is also called fool's gold. On the second trip, he found a material that thought he thought was gold. Hence the name fool's gold. Listen to this. And so he carried hundreds of tons of the stuff back home with him in three ships. He mined hundreds of tons of this. And then he went home, he sold it, and made a nice profit. Who likes that? Who likes a nice profit? So then he's like, oh, I know where to get this stuff. I've got a, I've got a business on my hands. So then with the profit, he turned around and invested it, like all smart people do, and hired seven ships to go to Canada. So with the seven ships, he filled them all up with this material and brought them back. But that in the time that he was gone, they were trying to purify the gold. They were trying to purify this material that he sold them. And they could never purify it. And when he came back with a seven, seven ships full of tons and tons of this, he found out it was worthless. What's the meaning of this story? I could sell you grass. But at the end of, at the end of your life, 
I don't want that grass to be worth, worthless. You see what I'm saying? I want you to have value when you go before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want you that though this walk may be hard, I don't want Jesus to say, depart from me, for I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. You see, because when we start selling fake stuff, that's the response we're going to get. What did you do for my kingdom? That's all worthless. Number two, the shepherd leads his flock beside the still waters. Who was with us during the, the Mark, the first part of Mark, when we went through the first four chapters? We studied about this in Mark 4. Jesus is on a boat. He just preached that day. And he, was, he fell asleep. Who remembers this story? He fell asleep. So he, fell, he falls asleep. He's in the hole of the boat. And the storm starts happening. The storm starts happening around him. The disciples get all scared. And they're like, Hey, you... There's a storm. How are you sleeping? See, when our life starts looking like the crashing waves, and sometimes we feel like the waves are crashing in on us, and we got our ankles strapped in the in the sea. But see, not always is the is the water clear. I mean, still, our perception of it may be rough. But see, Jesus is the one that calms the waters. So your life may be like, oh, it's all crashing in on me. It's all, I'm scared. Like, I'm going to lose my life, like the disciples said. But it's all, most of the time it's about your perspective. You're looking at it from the wrong perspective. So when the shepherd leads his flock, yes, there's going to be some rough waters. But we're, we're trying to get to the still waters. We're trying to get to where there's rest. The shepherd knows that where the rough waters is, but he also knows where the still waters is. You follow me? You got me? Because the still waters is where peace comes in. Who, who in here, all right, there's a study. How many of you have filled, felt, filled, um, felt stressed out this past year? In the seven months that we've been, who's felt stressed out? Who's felt overly stressed? A study shows that more people today feel stressed out and overwhelmed than ever in history. Don't you think we need some still waters in our life? And then lastly, I I could have gone through the whole Psalms 23, but that's not the point of the sermon. Number three, a good shepherd confronts, comforts with guidance and direction. The rod and the staff comfort me. Where were they at? In the valley of the shadow of the valley of death. How many of you have been through this valley in their life? Yeah. Now my real question for you, 
is how many have let your kahu and shepherd know that you're in that valley? Yeah, there's some, but not as many. I've been through the valley, and I tried to hide it, and then he pulled it out of me. Kahu Zeke has a way. He just jerked that stuff out. But that's where my breakthrough happened, too. Sometimes the breakthrough is because you don't want to be with the shepherd. And when you long to be with the shepherd, he's going to guide you through that valley. You know the protection of the shepherd because he has the rod and the staff. Even, even, and many of you, if you know shepherds back in the day, some of it took broken limbs. Shepherds would break limbs of sheep that wander. How many of you, there's, there's few of us that know what a broken limb feels like from Kahu Zeke in here, and I promise you that. But it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's a loving thing. Look, this is a phrase that has been stuck with me for a little while. Accountability is the greatest form of love. When you live unaccountable, that's a scary place to live. Because that's when you have to come back in and get a leg broken in order to rejoin the flock. My second point of grace. The grace of rest. Who needs rest in here today? Who feels like they're overworked? Some of you are on vacation. You're like, I don't need rest. I'm enjoying this life. Verse 12, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Where does rest come from? Where does the doctrine of rest come from? Genesis 2, 1 through 3 says this, Thus the heavens and the earth was finished, and all the host of them, And on the seventh day, God rested. God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he has done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Rest is commanded by God. We see this rest as voluntary rest. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I know I I can't go out and kill somebody. But if I work seven days a week, a couple times a year, I'm all right. Jesus will forgive me. This is what Exodus says. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and uh, do all your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not Do any work. You, your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servants. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Do we give this much time for rest? Especially as ministry leaders, he's talking to Titus. Remember, this, past, this was a letter written to Titus, and this is the conclusion. He says, you need to come with me. Why does Titus need to come? For restoration, for, for rest, for, 
for rebuking, probably, knowing uh, Paul. But he wanted to spend time with him. Five reasons for spiritual rest. Number one, listen to this. What does that say? Our lives should imitate Jesus as much as possible. Our lives should imitate Jesus. And we see this all throughout Jesus' life. Jesus would leave the multitude to go rest, to spend time with the Father. And this is spiritual rest, yeah? This is not just chillaxing all cool, all right? Shooting some b-ball outside of the school. But this was spiritual rest. He had to spend time with the Father. All right. This shows us our hearts a little bit. Jesus had more personal followers when he fed the 5,000 than most of our Instagrams combined, all right? We long to get those followers on Instagram. We long to post. Look, spiritual rest. All right, this is a side note, guys. Spiritual rest, watch this. When, when we come back from mission trips, when we come back from youth camp, why do we have spiritual rest? Because we quit worrying on those trips what everybody else is doing because you're having the high moment. You follow? You follow? You, check, you quit checking Instagram being like, man, I wish I was on the beach. I wish I was with, I wish I looked this good. Because you're spending time with God. But then you're also having the spiritual high moment that you're posting about. And you're like, yeah, look at all my, look at all those likes right there. Give me some more of those hearts. Double click that. You like my, my reference. But, but when you come back, you, you, you put yourself back under that slavery, that bondage of trying to be like everyone else. Why is my life not living up to everybody else's life? Why is my life not like the celebrity's life? There's no rest in that. You're trying to keep up with the Joneses, which is a saying from the South. You're trying to keep up with somebody that, that you're only seeing the best parts of their life in. There's no rest in that. But that's why you come back from youth camp and you haven't had a phone in a week. That's why there's, there's joy in worship. That's why there's beauty in, in worshiping God. And then it fades once you... Once you put yourself back under that, that yoke, it fades away. That was free. Merry Christmas, guys. That was free. Number two, but it does tie into this, minimize distractions. It allows us to focus on God. Spiritual rest allows time for us to have communion with God. Number three, worship. Just like Jesus Rest is worship. If God commanded it, then it's worship to Him. How many of you lack purpose in worship or lack, like, man, I really don't want to go to sing those songs, so I'm just going to sneak in 15 minutes late and I'll just show my face and then go. There's joy in worship. There's joy in practice on Thursday nights sometimes. Most of the time. 
Number four, and this is where a lot of us are. We need rest. We need spiritual rest to be physically and spiritually restored. Who needs to be spiritually restored this morning? Who needs to be physically restored this morning? And lastly, spiritual rest. To regain spiritual perspective. We did this, or even even I had the blessings of going to to Africa for my senior trip. We stayed over there for two weeks. No TV. I don't think I had a cell phone at the time. I didn't have one that would work in Africa. I'll put it that way. So it was just us. It was just us and the people that we were serving. What did that do? It realigned spiritual perspective. When you came back and you turned on the TV, you were like, oh, I don't ever remember this show being this bad. Like, because of, because what you take in, you reproduce. So during that time, what I was taking in, I was taking in a lot of Jesus and a lot of serving. Not because of me, that's just in the environment I am. I leveraged the environment I was in in order to do what God had called me to do then. But if we turn off the TV for a season, it's amazing how much your spiritual perspective changes. It, it's amazing how much your language you catch on to. The music we listen to, and I'm not saying that all music is bad, but for a season, sometimes we need to just, sometimes I, like, I don't even listen to anything. I just silence from my own thoughts. Sometimes it's to focus really hard on getting to work at 4.30 in the morning. But other times it's for thoughts, to clear my mind. Something's burdened very heavy on my heart, happening here, happening at home. So sometimes it's good to regain spiritual perspective. Then lastly, number three. The grace of vision. How did all this come about? How did this whole passage of Scripture come about? This is Paul's vision. Paul understood what was going on. He understands the life of a ministry leader. He understands the life of a Christian. That's why he said, that's why he set this up. That's why Paul had, always had people around him. Paul had Tychicus and Artemis. He was there. Think about that. How many of you in this room right now could step into Kahuzik's position? I couldn't. I couldn't. 
I mean, probably out of everyone, I might be the closest one. I don't say that boastfully because I'm still very distant. But Paul had people in place to plug in. That was Paul's vision. Titus, Titus had replacements if Paul needed to send them. And he was, go- he was planning on sending them. And then what happened? Paul, Paul's vision was for Titus to go back to the seminary of the day. Wouldn't it be nice not to have to pay for a seminary education and just go and be with Paul? I would much prefer spending life with Paul than I would going to a, a big college and getting an education. But that's just me. But that's how he trained pastors, was to spend time with Paul. But that all takes vision. That all takes understanding. Acts 9 says this, and then we'll wrap it up in a nice little bow. Acts 9, who who is here for the Acts series with us? Acts 9, 10 through 12. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of, of Tarsus named Saul. Who is Saul? His name was changed to Paul. For behold, he was praying. And he has seen in a vision a, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him that he might regain his sight. Now my question for us, my question for us is, what if Ananias was too busy to catch the vision of God? What if he heard about it but didn't care? You see, our lives are so focused on us that, that and some of you are like, what's the vision? This is, this is what I would say to you. Go full depth on our vision. God will give you a vision. And I'm not saying God's going to give you a vision of a brand new house and and 20 cars. But he wants to fulfill ministry through you. He wants you to be the gospel to people around you. You see, what would happen if Ananias never caught the vision? We'd still probably be outsiders. Now, I believe in the sovereignty of God, so somebody else would be there. But Paul would never be a part of this. Paul would still be wandering around blind. Think of how big of an impact. If we miss God's vision for us, that is why I don't want to get to the end of the days and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Or why did you just sell the, why were you content being content? Why were you okay with just being okay and not searching for the greener pastures? Why were you okay living a life in the rough waters? Why were you okay doing the same thing over and over again because you rejected the shepherd I've given you? Why have you, why have you doing the same thing in life because you have no rest? You thought your God was your work. And so I never gave you rest. 
Look at this. These are all the truths from Titus that we would have missed out if Ananias never fulfilled the vision. Christians are to be good citizens. We were all slaves to sin. Salvation comes from the goodness and grace of God. We, were, we cannot merit God's favor for salvation. Christians should eagerly do good. Believers in churches must avoid fighting over opinions or theological positions. We got to stop the fighting. That undermines the goodness and grace of God and divides the church. This is the one we ought to practice too. In cases of false teaching or unrepentant sin, church discipline should be exercised carefully but courageously. All small truths that we've learned in the past eight weeks that we could have missed out on if Ananias never fulfilled the vision God called for him. If Paul heard the vision and never never went to the street called straight. God, you just made me blind. Why would I do this? So here's a reality truth for us. The mission stops when people stop growing. The mission stops when people stop growing. So my question, are you stopping the mission of Ohana Church? Because you're not growing anymore. You once were, and now you're not. All right? My last verse. I know I've said this a lot. Verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So as to the case, uh, so to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Everything we learn should be responded, should be outpoured into good works in our lives. So if I took you out of your workplace and replaced you with a non-Christian, would anything change? Because Christians should work for good works. If I took you out of church, if I took you out of your seat this morning and replaced you with a non-Christian, would anything change? Well, a non-Christian wouldn't know the words. Well, but is there good works coming out of you? This is how I want us to respond today. What are the good works in your life? And I'm not saying this because like it could be easy for me. I struggle with this because good works is not salvation. Only Christ is salvation. But good works is the response of salvation. Good works is the overflow of what Christ is doing you in your life. How do we know if you're a Christian? By your good works, James. So my question is, what's different because you're a Christian? Is your workplace? Is your community? Is this church different because you're here? Or is everything just normal? Everything, everything would be the same if I replaced you with a, a non-believer this morning. So this is how I want us to respond. I want us to stay in our seats. I don't want us to respond up on the stage. I want us to stay in our seats. And if you've got to work stuff out with God, work stuff out with God right there. But I want to see your response in the good works you're going to do in the future.
We're going to sing a song. We're going to sing, do it again. And even as, even as the elders prayed this morning, think about this. Think about this. My heart's heavy. Connie knows. My heart's heavy for Monica right now. And I'm not going to make this statement lightly. As, as an outsider, as someone not from here, you have denied me in, okay? So my heart hurts with you. But this is what I'm going to say. You see the response of them up there. I have no doubt in my mind that people would die up there for the sake of a telescope. But we barely respond to the sake of the gospel. We barely are willing to go to the nation of Japan, a a nation that barely knows Jesus, that point whatever percent knows Jesus, point zero five, 99.95% would die and spend eternally in hell. My heart's heavy. Because people would rather die for the sake of a telescope than die for the sake of the gospel. And this is not me, man. This is your bloodlines. This is your cousins and your your brothers and your sisters that's up there. It's my co-workers that are up there. It's my family that's up there. I understand this. But for the sake of a telescope, they would die. But no one would die for the sake of the gospel. It grieves me. So as we pray, as we end this morning, we're going to sing. Because at one point, this city was rocked with the gospel. What a better song to sing than let's then do it again. Lord, you are sovereign. You are good. Lord, we love you this morning. May our hearts respond to your grace that you've provided. Lord, you've provided grace and shepherding. And may we be better shepherds out of it. Lord, you provide grace and rest. Lord, you also provide grace and vision, Lord. Lord, even as I, as I speak about the mountain, Lord, this morning. And I, I pray that, that my heart of heaviness comes across. I don't speak these things lightly. Lord, they understand the vision. Lord, sometimes I think they understand vision better than the church. The way they mobilize, the way they, they, they're embraceive of each other. Lord, may our people, may our church look like that. Welcoming to all for the cause of Christ. Ready to help when others are in need. Lord, there's people just holding up umbrellas for the kapunas. Lord, Give us people that would go into the parking lot on a rainy Sunday morning and hold a freaking umbrella. Lord, as we respond to the gospel, may our hearts be heavy. May our hearts be heavy with our own stuff because we know our good works is not what they should be. There's more stuff to be done because we are in a lost city that's in the need of grace. But Lord, we serve a big God that has saved us from the wrath of all eternity. Lord, they saved us from the wrath of hell that you pour out on people that don't know you. 
Lord, may we respond in that this morning. May our hearts be torn that your gospel hasn't reached the ends of the earth.